turn to First uh, Timothy chapter three. First Timothy chapter three. And uh, I appreciate you all taking some time to lift up uh, the prayer requests. Hopefully you had a chance to share some of the other things going on in your own uh, heart and life. Um, I, I, when, I, when I had an opportunity to preach a couple weeks ago in, in service, uh, I mentioned you know, Jesus' miracles are, are very special to me. I enjoy seeing his miracles. The parables are also pretty cool. Uh, parables, I think, sometimes are portrayed as if they actually happen. And Sam even alluded today when he was talking about uh, the rich man and Lazarus. That's not a parable. That's a that's a teaching. That's a doctrinal teaching. He's communicating truth there. Uh, but there are times when Jesus would teach in parables, and sometimes he taught in those parables to disclose wisdom to those who were seeking wisdom. And to not allow wisdom, uh, or let me rephrase that, to, to veil wisdom for those who were not ready for it. Now, this is not an intellectual exercise. This is a spiritual heart exercise. If someone's prepared to receive it, I failed to pass these out. So we'll just pass those back. And, um, and so today, we're going to be looking at um, take one and pass those back. Thanks. Uh, today we're going to be looking at mysteries, and it might seem a touch doctrinal, and I'm not going to lie, we're going to get down in the weeds a touch today, but there is a very practical application here. Very, very practical application. So as we look, it's on your sheet, it's in your Bible, and it's on the screen, hopefully, if I can... It just worked a minute ago. Okay, there we go. First Timothy chapter three and verse sixteen. And without controversy, and without controversy, so like it's not up for debate. Great is the mystery of godliness. And then there's a colon, so he's going to explain what the mystery of godliness is. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Okay, That is the mystery of godliness. So one of the things we need to do is really understand what is a mystery. I've touched on it a little bit with respect to... I don't know why this isn't... Oh, man, it's slow. Um, on why, uh, what, what is a mystery? It's similar to a parable, but but it's you know like most things in scripture, like ninety nine point nine things in scripture. Uh, scripture does self define. Okay, so Luke eight, and he said, "Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see." And hearing, they might not understand. So literally, like I just said, Jesus will teach in a parable so that somebody who doesn't want to learn will be caught in the parable. They won't understand the principle because it's spiritually discerned. Now, there are some people who are spiritually sensitive that might get part of the parable, but they might not be able to really understand it and motivate them to do the ministry uh, that they need to. So literally, mysteries are the same thing. Or, or they're, they're, they're an equivalent, probably is the best way of saying it. So it, unto you, disciple, follower of Christ, 
it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. You can know the mystery. Okay? And it's not a mystery like an escape room that's got to be figured out. It's not intellectual. It's spiritually discerned. So, how, in Ephesians 3, 3 through 5, how that by the revelation he made known unto me the mystery, and then Paul puts this parenthetical, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand the knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Like, just read scripture and let the Holy Spirit teach you, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So he literally describes how mysteries are understood. So today we're going to talk about this mystery of godliness, which he described specifically in the verse. It's not, this is not an intellectual, like, at the end of this, if I had a chalkboard, if I took that chalkboard and put it up here, this would not look like an Einstein calculus <laughs> equation. Like, I wouldn't need a, a, you know, <clears throat> a ladder to write all over it for you to understand. That's not the point. The point is it's a simple spiritual truth that those who are lost cannot understand. They just cannot get their brain around it. So it's spiritually discerned truths that otherwise cannot be understood. I think I underlined spiritual rather than discerned, so I apologize, but don't write spiritual twice. So it's spiritually discerned truths that otherwise cannot be understood. The Spirit of the Lord will teach it to you. So I'm going to give you a really high level for the Bible students in the room. There are seven mysteries in Scripture. We are not going to take the time to go over these other than just what's on the screen and in your, on your page. The mystery of godliness, which we're talking about. Christ in you. How Christ can be in you is a mystery to people. They don't understand how Christ can come in and dwell in us. That is a spiritually discerned, a spiritually understood principle. Christ in the church, the relationship of Christ in the church is a spiritually discerned concept. The rapture of the church, specifically in 1 Corinthians 15, is although the rapture is not specifically listed, the concept of the rapture is a mystery. I remember years ago I had a, church, I had a shirt on that alluded to the rapture. And I mean, this was a long time ago. And I was at the Blue Ridge Mall. <laughs> That's how far back. Wow. That's how far back. It was like I don't know. It was like three, three years. Thirty years. Thirty-five years ago. Um, it's been at least twelve. Right. It was a while back. So I was at the Blue Ridge Mall, and a lady is like, "What's the deal with your shirt?" And I'm like, "One of these days, Christ is coming back and taking me home." And she looked at me like I was an alien believer or something. Like I, she like. She literally, I, I can, I literally can close my eyes and I can still see her face as she was like, "Oh, <laughs> I, like people that are lost do not understand the right, right? They do not understand this concept of the rapture of the church, right? Blindness and restoration of Israel in Romans 11. It talks about blindness coming on Israel or being on Israel and how they will be restored." This one's kind of sometimes postured a couple of different ways, so I tried to put kind of both aspects on it. The mystery of iniquity. The mystery of iniquity in 2 Thessalonians 2, 7. 
Babylon the Great is a great mystery. Okay, so those are the seven mysteries. Now, the reason I'm not going into this is LFBI, I'm going to throw a little plug here for LFBI, Living Faith Bible Institute. We, we do it here. We, the pastors, teaching elders, pastors from like-minded churches teach in the Living Faith Bible Institute. There is a course called the Seven Sevens. One of the sevens are the seven mysteries that they go over. Literally, you'd get a whole class, an LFBI class, on the seven mysteries. They go into each one of them pretty deeply. We don't have the time to do that. We're not called to do that in the passage we're in, but we are going to look at this first one, the mystery of godliness, okay? The mystery of godliness. But with respect to the seven mysteries, we have an obligation. So we have an opportunity to understand them because they're spiritually discerned, but we have a responsibility with the mysteries. This is not just a doctrinal exercise so that you can fill out a page, you can get credit in LFBI and say, I understand the seven mysteries. No, no, no. It's much more serious than that. You are required as a believer to do these things. Okay. Now, not that you're going to lose your salvation by any stretch of the imagination. You could lose reward. But this is, this, these are the requirements or the responsibilities of the believer with respect to the, to the mysteries. You're supposed to steward them. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2. Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. We like kind of like quoting that verse, right? That it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Literally, the context of that verse is stewarding the mysteries of God. So steward tends to them handles them, knows them well enough to be able to communicate them. We help others see. Ephesians 3, 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. There's something to be gained, a relationship, an intimacy from the mysteries, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. So he hid these mysteries and he's letting us in. So, like, literally, God is the worst magician around, right? Because the number one rule in being a magician is you never reveal your secrets, right? I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not a magician. I don't, I, I said that because that's what I've heard magicians say. I don't know if that's a real first rule. I don't know if that's written down in a rule book for magicians. They, you guys with me? That's what they all say, right? You never reveal your secrets. But God is great because he creates these mysteries but then he reveals them. He just reveals them to those who want to learn them. Pretty, pretty cool. So we now have the responsibility to help others see the mystery. So, so I would argue I'm kind of fulfilling this responsibility today since we got to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 that I have this responsibility not to just brush over verse 16 and talk about the mystery of godliness and just move on, that I have a responsibility that to make all men, all people, see what is the fellowship of the mysteries. Like we can grow closer in our relationship with the Lord by understanding the mysteries than to give them to others. So I'm going to encourage you not to go out on the street evangelizing 
by leading, did you know there are seven mysteries in the Bible? That's not the point. Okay? The point is those concepts that are mysteries are in fact what we communicate when we communicate the gospel. Okay? We're trying to get people to the point where they can see with spiritual eyes. They need to be born again to do that. Right? But so we want to give them to others. So Colossians 1, 25 and through 27, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery, which has been hid from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints. This is, again, worst kept secret in scripture are the mysteries. And they, in fact, can be intellectually comprehended, but not intellectually understood. Okay? So a lost, belie- a lost person that, that goes in and studies scripture could arguably look at the previous slide and, and say, okay, there's seven mysteries. Those are the re- the, I understand. I could answer them on a test. They can comprehend them, but they don't understand them. They don't really get them. It is our obligation as believers to communicate the mysteries. Again, you will see today in particular how basic this mystery actually is. We're supposed to care for others, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love unto all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery. Literally, the mystery is supposed to be used in ministry, in caring for people, that people will be comforted, knit together in love, felt that they feel loved, that they would have assurance That literally comes from the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. And then we need to be faithful, holding the mystery of faith. So this is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, higher up in the chapter. We've already been over it, but holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. When it's talking about the qualifications of the deacon, right? Holding uh, Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. You're not supposed to use, misuse this, right? So I am not going to twist the mystery. I am not going to, I mean, I'm just going to lay it out there because it's not difficult to understand. It's just spiritually discerned. Okay. You guys with me? Yes, sir. All right. So this brings us to our first discipleship question or decision. Are you a conduit of what God gives you? So I know at least one person here is, is an electrical person, but I hope I mean, we all have, I guess, electricity, but I mean, like, works in electricity. That's Shane. Shane's like, I don't know what his qualification is, but but I would trust him to wire my home, okay? I, whether you're not, you know, you've trusted him to wire aspects of this church, right? So he knows how to deal with electricity, okay? Without dying. Without dying. Well, that's a good point. <laughs> that, that's a good point. He knows, right, right. He, like, he's not going to walk out of the closet, you know, like uh, the, the cartoon, <laughs> you know, with the smoke, um, right? So a conduit does not transfer the energy, okay? The conduit holds the wire that transfers the energy. You don't plug, matter of fact, it's really bad. I, I think it's pretty bad. Shane, check me. It's really bad if the conduit conducts electricity. Like, that's not what it's there for. It's actually there 
to make sure that the electricity that goes through the wire gets from point A to get to point B. That is, and I, and I chose that word on purpose, it is our job to be conduits of the mystery. Okay? We don't have the ability to teach it. It's spiritually discerned. I can explain what I'm explaining, but these things are discerned or understood spiritually. Okay? So when God gives you something, are you a conduit of that? Do you feel the need to add to it, subtract from it? Do you feel the, the responsibility that if I don't show up, the message isn't getting delivered? Like, warning, warning, that's not how ministry works. I was actually talking to somebody this morning at the printer as we were you know, making copies, and they said, man, I really need God to show up today. And I'm like, you mean like the rapture? Like something's bad going to happen if you, if you didn't? No, no, no. Like I need God to show up for me to preach. I, we were joking. But like... Like that's, he needed, he, he verbalized that if God didn't show up, the message was going to fall flat. And that is so true. It's, I mean, whether we, whether, uh, you know, I didn't actually verbalize that. I do acknowledge that, that I can prepare, I can do my part, but the best I am is a tube that the Lord puts the energy through, through the wire. Like the energy is not of Mitch Dobson, right? So when God gives you something, are you a conduit? Do you, do you pass it on? So the mystery of godliness, so we'll spend the next uh, bit of time specifically focusing on the mystery of godliness. And we're going to spend some time because it's so clearly defined in 1 Timothy chapter 3. It said, I literally just took the verse and broke it into bullet points. Like it's not like... You know, you're getting a look behind the green curtain on how complicated making a PowerPoint is, right? God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Who are we talking about? Jesus. Jesus. Okay, if you don't know, generally answer Jesus to the question. You've got a really good chance. This morning, Sam said... And where was his body? Doug yells the grave, and I was going to yell Jesus, because you told us to always answer Jesus if we don't know. Um, so this one, the answer is correct, Jesus. This is description of Jesus. Okay, the mystery of godliness is literally that Jesus, who is God, came to the earth and dwelt on the earth in flesh and did these things. And we'll, I mean, I'm not going to describe it because we're going to look at each of these. That, some people cannot get. So Marshall sent me a, a meme. We're into, I guess we're in that phase of our relationship where we communicate through memes. <laughs> and it was Jesus praying. And he's like, when are you going to use this in a message? Today is the day. I just don't have a copy of the message, or a copy of the meme. But it's Jesus praying. It's that prototypical Jesus praying in the garden. And the meme says, Hello, Father. It's me, you. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Like, that's the description, the best description of the Trinity I've ever seen. Where, like, Jesus is like, Father, it's me, you. Like, but that's, you can, you can understand that spiritually. That they're, 
one, but they're separate. And you can understand that God was manifest, that Jesus was literally 100% man and 100% God does not compute. That's 200%, Mitch. But it's true. Right? And so that is literally the mystery of godliness. That God could come to the earth in the form of a man and why that's important. So we're going to look at each of these. So God was manifest in the flesh. So John 1, 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So that was referencing Jesus, right? Romans 1, 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, right? That is important that he was of the seed of David according to the flesh. He was flesh. And, and some people get, get, I call it bald around the axle. They get all wound up because they can't figure out how he could be born of a virgin without sin and she was with child through the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Ghost. Like, I don't get it either. I don't know what happened biologically, but I understand it. Like, I understand that Jesus, I do understand that the blood from the mother doesn't actually go into the bloodstream of the baby, that there is a beautiful process that God has created to allow nutrients and oxygen to transfer from the mother to the, to the unborn child without the blood intermingling so that his blood, in fact, could be pure. Like, I understand aspects of it, but I don't understand it, but I know it, Right? Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Actually, if you continue on in that in that uh, the next few verses, it, it says it goes on to say, and if you don't, you're Antichrist. Like that is literally the litmus test of whether you are on Jesus' team or Satan's team. Is if you believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. I, there's a uh, there's a whole. Um, theological position that Jesus was only ever in the spirit. That he was never flesh. Well, guess what? That's Antichrist. Because if he didn't take on flesh, and I'm going to jump down, he wasn't a worthy substitution. If he wasn't sinless, if and if he wasn't in the flesh, he couldn't pay for my sins. We needed a sinless entity to take our sin on the cross. So he had to have been flesh. Hebrews 4, 15, we, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. So there is a double negative there. In this case, it equals a positive. We do have a high priest that can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He had to be flesh had to be tempted, had to overcome that, never sin, which is why that whole, you know, last temptation of Christ thing was such a big deal, uh, you know, at this point, back when the Blue Ridge Mall was still around, uh, when it first came out, right? Because it implied that Jesus was a sinner or had sinful thoughts. He was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So he was a worthy substitution. 
So the second is justify. So so again for the for the Bible scholar in the room or that might be listening, if you start with all people like a big funnel and you start with all people that could fit this this list of the mystery of godliness, all of us came in the flesh, right? God was made. So, so uh, just bear with me for a second. So, everybody in theory could fit this qualification because we have all we all have flesh. As you will see, as we go through this, as we go through these these individual concepts, the limit of who it could be comes down to one. Okay. Spoiler alert: Jesus. Right. So, because other people will, and, and the reason I brought that up. Other people are justified in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon people in the Old Testament. So in, the, in and of itself, being manifest in the flesh is not the single qualification. Being justified in the Spirit is not the single qualification. He has to meet all of these. Okay, So just keep that kind of in the back of your mind as we go through it. Being justified, you've probably heard it said, it's just as if we didn't sin. Okay, and that is a good, a good way to apply it to the to the believer who has sinned. Okay, to the end, the, the person who is a sinner, and we've made been made righteousness by God. So it's just as if we didn't sin. But for Jesus, you can't really apply that because he never did sin. He was justified in the Spirit is a form of validation. Okay, we are technically validated through the lens of no sin by Jesus. So it's right to say it's just as if we never sinned, but it's for Jesus, it's that the Spirit validates who he is. So in John 1, 32-33, and John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode on him. And I knew him not, but he that uh, that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. So literally reference to Christ and his qualifications. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. This is he that came by water and blood. So it's a reference of his earthly, being a human. Even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood, and the Spirit that beareth witness, and it, I'm sorry, and it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. So literally, if the Holy Spirit didn't come upon him, he couldn't have been sent from the Father. He couldn't have had a role of communicating truth. In this case, the um, spirit that is truth and baptizing with the Holy Ghost. Like, it's a qualification. So pretty quickly, our funnel went from all possible people to a very, very small number of people who were had the spirit on them for a purpose. That they were sent from the Father, not necessarily from heaven, but sent by the Father to accomplish something. So the list gets, and I didn't do this exercise, the list goes from all humanity down to a handful of people very quickly. Okay? So he was justified. You could say justified in the Spirit. That's a, that's a, and we don't have time to go into this, but that's a concept of being in the Spirit. Okay? Justified in the Spirit. But you could almost use the, the phrase, he was justified by the Spirit coming on him. Okay, I'm just trying to again put it in some vernacular that that people might 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 get.
Okay, then the next is he was seen of angels. He was seen of angels. Now, this is important that he was seen of angels with the previous two qualifiers still in place. I don't know if you notice. I'm going to back up here. I'm going to try to back up. But these are actually in order. He was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. We just saw that through his baptism. He was seen of angels, which we're getting ready to talk about in, in, in a moment, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on the world, and received up into glory. This is chronological. All lists in scripture are not chronological, but this one is. Okay, And the reason I say that is he was manifest first. He was then baptized. The, the Holy Spirit came on him. Now look at the references. Matthew 4, we talked about this last week. Matthew 4, the temptation will come after Matthew 3. Matthew 3 was the baptism. Matthew 4, then the devil leaveth him. So after his temptation, right, when he's fasting in the wilderness and being tempted. And behold, angels came and ministered unto him. So literally, that's what Paul's referencing. He's, he was seen of angels. Not just that angels could perceive him, that they could see Jesus. He was seen. He was visited by angels. Uh, in the parallel passage in Mark 1, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. So it's not just that they swooped by, hey, Jesus, they, they, he, he was seen of angels, that they actually came and ministered. Okay, they came and ministered. Look at Luke 22, now jumping to the end of his earthly life, and he's praying in the garden, saying, Father, if thou wilt be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. So literally, while Jesus was praying in the garden, I think sometimes we swoop right over this concept, an angel came and ministered to him. So look at this. Without the ministering of the angels, without the angels coming to see him, he couldn't have been validated as being sent from the Father. And, you, and so I, I included a reference here in Matthew 4, verse 6. And, and so, so if you want to turn there, Matthew 4, verse 6, this is when, G, when Jesus is actually being tempted in the wilderness. So it's right before Matthew 4, 11. Right? It's a few verses before. Satan says something that's very interesting. And I think most people remember Satan loves to use truth. He loves to use truth and twist it. In Matthew 4 and verse 6, And he saith, Satan saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. Look at this, because this part is truth. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. His angels, God's angels are going to come minister. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Satan's misusing scripture... And the validation that ministry by angels means he came from the Father. He came from the Father and was validated through the ministry of angels. And Satan is trying to, to twist it to say, well, then if that's true, throw yourself off of here and let's see it happen. And Jesus is like, homie, don't play that. That's not how it works, right? But he used scripture. Um, and not in 
early 90s reference. Um, back when the Blue Ridge Mall was around. I don't know why we're living in the early 90s right now, but anyway, um, but it's a theme. Um, so so it, without the ministry, it's like, get back on track. Without the ministering of angels, he couldn't have been validated as the, as the Son of God, as coming from the Father. Are you guys with me? Okay. So again, the, now the, the filter has gone from all humanity to a handful of folks, and then the number of folks that have been ministered to by angels is very small in Scripture. Okay? There, but it is more than just Jesus, by the way. Okay? So, but Satan is trying to twist that, that, that promise, and he's trying to make it seem like, hey, do this now, and you'll be, hey, you're, all the kingdoms. You, you, you're, you're the man. Right? And Jesus is like, not, not right at the, I mean, not right now, Satan. It's not how it works. So preach unto the Gentiles. Now, I try to be very transparent when I move away from traditional teaching. And traditional teaching on 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, says that he was preached unto the Gentiles. Most all the cross-references you'll find on that are the people after Christ, Paul, Peter, Timothy, Titus, who preached Christ unto the Gentiles. Are you with me? I don't think that's what it means. So I want to throw the flag and say, hey, potentially non-traditional teaching here. Because if you go back, and I probably should have just had these. This is about Jesus' earthly ministry. Earthly ministry, earthly ministry, earthly ministry, earthly ministry. This too, I believe, is about earthly ministry. That he literally preached unto the Gentiles. And I believe I can prove that because of the verses that we'll look at. We'll look at. So he himself preached unto Gentiles. It's not just that he was preached about unto the Gentiles, but he himself preached unto the Gentiles. Right, so John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, not just Jew, but whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world, not just Jews, through him might be saved. Notice, there's the the individual with the, the swine they get cast out, and then everybody's mad because now they've got floating pigs in their bay, right? And they jump off the, the thing, and it's like, well, I wanted bacon. Well, they didn't eat bacon, but they wanted Well, and they might have because they, weren't, they were Gentiles. They were mad because their bacon all drowned. Matthew 8, he preached to a gathering. That means they were, it was a Gentile. In John 4, he preached to a Samaritan, half Jew, half Gentile. The woman of Canaan who came to get healed, right, where she's like, hey, and Jesus is like, hey, the dogs don't eat at the master's table. And she's like, yeah, but they even they get little crumbs from the master's table. Like, you remember that story? She was a Gentile. The healing of the centurion's servant, the centurion comes to him and says, I know you can heal my servant. I'm a man of authority, under authority. People, I tell people what to do. They do it. You just say the word, and I know my servant will be healed. Jesus like, such faith have I not seen in Israel. Mm-hmm. Making a contrast, he's preaching to Gentiles. Greeks are seeking Jesus in John 12. So that, and he sends a message back to them. Jesus preached unto Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not a very... like. So this is the one that gets a little wonky down in italics. And I'm just going to, again, I try to be very transparent with you all in my teaching. 
if he only came for the Jews, but the Jews, and if they didn't reject him, because like he could have only come for the Jews if they would have accepted him. Doctrinally, that lays out that he would have been the Messiah, okay? But he knew that they would reject him. He knew their heart. Then he couldn't be the Christ, okay? This is a little nuanced, and we're not, we don't have a bunch of time to spend on it. But if he only came for the Jews and didn't preach unto the Gentiles, then he couldn't have been the Christ. He could have only been the Messiah, right? For Jews, exactly. So then the next one we see is that he was believed on in the world. Again, I do think these are chronological because when you look at what happens after his resurrection, John 20, uh, 24 through 29, but Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. We have believed on him. But he, Thomas, said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the prints of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. That's an important designation. Then saith, so jump down a little bit. Then saith he to Thomas, Jesus shows up, reach thy finger, uh, hither thy finger, and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, and thrust it in my side, and be not, the, uh, be not faithless, but believing. Then Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord, my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Like those are not... Those words are there for a reason, right? right? Mm-hmm. Because thou hast seen, has seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Literally, he's talking, at least including people like us, that have not seen him, his resurrected being, but yet believed. Mary, in John 20, verse 16, Jesus saith unto her, Mary, and she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. She believed on him in that moment. The disciples in John 20, 20, and when he had said so, or had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. They believed. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, 20, uh, chapter 20, Luke 24, 13 through 15, or 35. We don't have time to go through all that, but they believed on him. So without, no, I'm sorry, I was jumping ahead. I should have. So Mary, the disciples, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. So without evidence of a resurrection, without being believed on in the world, he didn't conquer death. See the logic? If he wasn't witnessed after his resurrection, if he wasn't believed on, well now the list has come to one, right? And then look at this last one, received up into glory. So these are literally milestones in Jesus's earthly ministry. All of this is the mystery of godliness that we are supposed to communicate. Luke 24, 50 to 51. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Similar passage in Acts 1, 9 through 11. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, Two men stood by them in white apparel, 
which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you in heaven, so, or I'm sorry, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now, I didn't think I'd have the seven minutes that I had left, but we could look at how Jesus is going to return and how he's going to return is in a glorious state. And these men say, hey, the same way you see him go up is how he's going to return. We now know how he's going to return because the rest of the New Testament is written. We know that that will be in a glorious state. So he was received up into glory. So we have the beautiful description of this ascension. So if he didn't ascend to the Father, he wasn't the Son of God. Right? So all of these logical statements... And then this is this was like the money slide here as far as I'm concerned. But he did. <laughs> like he did all that stuff. He did take on flesh. And the Holy Spirit did validate him. And I, I typo there. And the angels did uh, minister unto him, I think is what I should have there. And he came for more than just the Jews. And there is evidence of resurrection. And he did ascend. So he was, in fact, the son of God. That is the mystery of godliness that Jesus did all of those things. It really is that simple. So I'll leave you with this quote in our last discipleship decision of the day. 1 Corinthians 13. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and notice, and understand all the mysteries, all mysteries, and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains, but if I have not charity, I'm nothing. So the minister that understands all the mysteries, the minister that can quote all the cross-references here and explain that this is really talking about Jesus, it's really the validation that he was both God and man, that's great, and it will help you pass an LFBI test. Good. It hopefully kept you reasonably awake and attentive this morning. That's great. But if you don't take this information and subsequently use it, I hate to be so brash, but you're nothing. Like, you don't really bring value to the equation. You're not a conduit. Right? So, will you use the understanding of the mystery to minister? Like, will you use the fact that Jesus did all these things, that no one else could, could make it through the funnel except Jesus? The man Jesus... The Son of God, Jesus, he did all of these things. He took on flesh. He was validated by the Holy Spirit. The angels ministered to him. He came uh, for more than just the Jews. He, there was evidence of resurrection, and he did ascend. So therefore, he was the Son of God. I, if you've not had an interaction with Jesus to understand, to really get this. If you're like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. When I was a young man, I was drawn to, I think it was the greatest story ever told. It seemed like that was the one that they played around Easter. Is that the one that was on mm-hmm. Easter? Or, or maybe it was Jesus of Nazareth. I don't remember. It was a miniseries. It was always a big deal when miniseries were on, right? It's over Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, it seemed like, right? I was always drawn to those, and I never understood, because they're a narrative, Right? They're not a spiritual concept. They're a narrative. I never understood how Jesus' death applied to me. Right? And it wasn't until after I was saved 
And now I had the Holy Spirit teaching me where I saw the passion of Christ. Watching a similar narrative, was it a spiritual connect? Like I, like it hit me in the feels. Like I remember watching that and tears streaming down my face because now I understood what he was going through took my sin, right? Before I was saved, it was a story and I could understand the story and I even believed that Jesus was the son of God and he died on a cross, but I had no idea how that mattered to me. I hate to almost say it that way, but it does matter. Yeah. Yeah, just, you're good. That um, the verse that we're doing today, do you see that it's the um, like it's obviously talking about God, Jesus, and the Lord, mm-hmm. but it's also a picture of our salvation, of how you know we're in the flesh and we're supposed to you know be like Jesus. Mm-hmm. So He made Himself like us because we can't make ourselves like Him, except if we die to the flesh and we live in the Spirit. And then our commandment is to preach. Sure. You know, not necessarily preach, but... No, 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 yeah. I mean, um, preach is broad. Preach right. is teach or proclaim teach. or whatever, teach. Right, right, right. So, so then we, oh. we are eventually received up in glory also. Like, eventually. Yeah. So, but, so like, like, I feel like it's a dual picture. It's a I mean, parallel. Right. It's a parallel. It's not a dual application. Okay, and that's the difference. And I'm not trying to pick on words, but that's an important concept in Scripture. Is there are times that some scriptures apply to two two people or two groups of people. This doesn't necessarily apply to us, but it is a parallel. The biggest breakdown is the angels. Like I have not had any angels come to me that I'm aware of and minister to me. Now maybe they do, and maybe at some point in eternity, God will show me where angels stop my car from going off the road or you know whatever I don't know maybe there are uh, there probably are those kinds of things but but there is a parallel there's no doubt because we're in him so what he experiences there's going to be a parallel for us um, and it's not and don't how should I start my sentence here there's a reason in my humble opinion there's a reason it doesn't talk about his crucifixion in this the mystery of godliness is not just about the crucifixion it's about him coming and ministering so in that regard there it's it's maybe even more of a parallel but it, i would call it a parallel not a dual application doctrinal application but it's a great call out because these kinds of things we should in fact should exude from us they should flow from our lives right they should flow from our ministry And if you're in a position where you've not had that connection, where you understand that Jesus came, you understand he was the son of God, you understand he died on a cross, was resurrected, and people saw him, but you haven't believed on that, you haven't applied that to your sin condition, then that's the biggest call this morning for you is to understand that. Because... Everything I've said up to this point is just an intellectual exercise if you don't get it, if you don't comprehend it. Um, and so with that, I love you guys. I'm you know, praying for you. Uh, we'll close in prayer. If you have any uh, questions about the upcoming uh, activity this weekend, logistics, if you want to get with Michelle with respect to the autos, uh, I think obviously we have another week coming up, so it's not super urgent. If there's anything you need to talk to me about, uh, let me know. Yes.